Um, we'd like to welcome you to the uh, first day of this year's annual Francis Schaeffer Conference on True Spirituality. Um, we will this week be celebrating the legacy and influence of Dr. Francis Schaeffer uh, and his wife Edith and their impact on our tradition and our theology. Um, just a brief snapshot of what the week is going to look like. Uh, today we will have chapel. Um, this afternoon at 4 o'clock p.m. in Sanderson 215 will be conversations and questions with Dr. S. Wine. Um, he's going to be talking about doubt and the absence of wonder. Um, there will be chapel credit for uh, that event. So. Uh, that's this afternoon at 4 o'clock in Sanderson 215. Uh, there will also be chapel tomorrow morning, um, Thursday. Uh, chapel will be doubt and the presence of distraction. And then Friday's chapel will be how do I pray when I'm cynical about it, uh, followed by a, ch a chapel luncheon with students. Uh, it's now my privilege to introduce Dr. Zach Eswine, our speaker for this year. Uh, Dr. Eswine is the pastor of Riverside Church. He is a resident scholar for the Francis Schaeffer Institute at Covenant Seminary and the director of homiletics at Covenant Theological Seminary as well. He is the author of several award-winning books, including The Imperfect Pastor, Preaching to a Post-Everything World, Spurgeon's Sorrows, Realistic Hope for Those Who Suffer from Depression, and Recovering Eden, The Gospel According to Ecclesiastes. He and his wife, Jessica, and their family live in Webster Grove, Missouri. Please give a warm Scots welcome to Dr. Zach Eswine. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's good to uh, say hello to you from the folks at Riverside Church where I'm a pastor. It's good to say hello from the people at Covenant Seminary where I serve. It's good to say hello on behalf of my son Nathan, my daughter Abigail, my son Caleb, and my wife Jessica. Jessica will be with us tomorrow and uh, glad to open the Bible here. I do that with coffee breath. It's good coffee, but I stand here having to use glasses so I can read the text. I didn't always have to use glasses. I'm getting a little older. And so I'm a human being standing in front of you, and I'm a person who uh, has known a good bit of uh, challenge in his own life and has had many questions to ask of God about life. And uh, I want to think about Thomas today. We know him as Doubting Thomas. And... Uh, you know, so we go right to the source, Urban Dictionary, to see what we should make of, of uh, Doubting Thomas. And it just tells us that typically this phrase is used in a derogatory way by devout Christians. So devout Christians think of Doubting Thomas as a person who wanted faith without evidence, and or wanted evidence uh, in order to have faith. And so we should think of Doubting Thomas as sort of a skeptic uh, looking for scientific evidence before he'll believe. And a skeptic will look at Doubting Thomas according to this person in a positive light, and devout Christians will see Thomas in a negative light. Wikipedia, always a good source of information, says a Doubting Thomas is a skeptic who refuses to believe without direct personal experience. When I think about Doubting Thomas in this way, as a skeptic uh, uh, that seen negatively by Christians, I find little help from him. I, I find uh, that I, I don't find myself in his story at all. Um, when I see him as a follower of Jesus who's experienced a disillusioned moment in his life, and that disillusionment has led him to doubt, then 
then Thomas becomes a mentor, becomes a, a friend on the journey. He becomes a brother in Christ. He becomes one I can learn from and find myself in his story as he looks to Jesus. And I'm inviting you today to see Thomas as a mentor and friend. I want to ask the question, is he really this hard-hearted skeptic, this rational empiricist looking for scientific information? I'm going to suggest that he's not at all. Thomas is an earnest follower of Jesus, showing us something true about what it means to live the Christian life. Doubt is a part of Christian living, particularly when we encounter a kind of situation we didn't expect. And it throws us off, and we have to do a little DTR with God and with the world and redefine the relationships in light of what we once thought it was and what it now looks like it is and what are we to make of that. So here are these words um, of Thomas and Jesus. Verse 24 of John chapter 20. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The first thing we notice about Thomas is that he brings all the faith that he has. He brings all the faith that he has. Thomas believes a lot. That's important to remember. Uh, Thomas doesn't doubt the existence of Jesus. Thomas doesn't uh, doubt the teachings of Jesus. Thomas was there when Jesus quieted the storm. Thomas was there in the boat when Peter got out and tried to walk on water. Thomas was there when loaves and fishes were multiplied. Thomas was among the 72 that was sent out and saw remarkable things and came back and reported to Jesus. Thomas doesn't doubt the supernatural reality of Jesus, the existence of Jesus. Thomas doesn't doubt the crucifixion of Jesus. As a matter of fact, that is the issue for him. He doesn't doubt uh, Pontius Pilate. He doesn't doubt the moment in history that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Thomas has a lot of faith. There's a lot he believes. He has one specific doubt. We might think of it as an intellectual doubt. It's a question. It's a problem. He doubts the resurrection. That's his issue. What's your issue? Uh, Perhaps you do have doubts about things. Maybe you can't go as far as Thomas, or a friend that you have can't go as far as Thomas. That's what I would ask. Can you go as far as Thomas can? Do you believe that Jesus exists? Do you believe that he taught? Do you believe that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate? How far can you go with Thomas? Some of us believe less than Thomas did. Others of us believe more than he did at this moment in his life. It's a very specific question. The resurrection. 
May I just take a moment to, to uh, say that uh, uh, if you're wondering about these things, uh, John Dixon, uh, historian, points out that you don't have to look in a Christian source to know these things. You look to non-Christian texts of the time and you'll gather this information. So you don't have to open the Bible to learn this as a historian. Things like his name was Jesus. He was, he did live during the time of Pontius Pilate. The name of his mother was Mary. The ambiguous nature of his birth. The name of one of his brothers, James. His fame as a teacher. His fame as a miracle worker and sorcerer. The involvement of both the Roman and Jewish leadership in his death. The coincidence of an eclipse at the time of his crucifixion. The report of his appearance. There are several things you know without even opening the Bible. You just look to other than Christian sources and you can find these reference points there. But uh, a person who certainly is not a follower of Jesus in terms of believing that Jesus raised from the dead, Bart Ehrman, who says that he honors Jesus, he follows the teachings of Jesus, but he doesn't believe that Jesus raised from the dead, that New Testament scholar, who's not a Christian, uh, has written a whole book to uh, argue for the historicity of the existence of Jesus. This is what he says. Despite the enormous range of opinion on the meaning of these things, there are several points on which virtually all scholars of antiquity agree. Jesus was a Jewish man, known to be a preacher and teacher, who was crucified in Jerusalem during the reign of the Roman Emperor Tiberius when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. You don't have to be a Christian to believe these basic things, that Jesus existed that he taught, that people thought he did miraculous things, they didn't know what to do about it, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and that something happened such that a movement of people began to say they saw him alive and they began to orient their lives around that story of the resurrection. I'm asking, can you go that far? And if you've not been able to, I'm hoping that you can see that you can take a step in that direction. Imagine that there's a, a pond and uh, it's a frozen pond, and you're going to skate on it and play hockey or something like that, and you're going to go out on that pond. One approach to figuring out whether you can play on that pond is to search the whole pond, as vast and large as it is, make sure everything holds in every place before you take a step on it. That's one way of trying to know the safety of that pond. Another way is to just step where you are and see if it will hold. And if it holds, you can step there. If it doesn't, don't. And if you can step there, step there. Now, will the next step hold? Or is it too tender? Will it give way? Thomas is bringing all the faith he has to Jesus. There are many places in the pond where he can step and hold. So can I say this? Watch out for an all-or-nothing kind of thinking. That you have to know everything before you can know anything. And if you don't know everything, you don't know nothing. Watch out for that. Because life just isn't that way, whether you're a Christian or you're not. Bring what you have. Where can you step? Stand there. You don't know the rest, but you know this much. Jesus said as much. He said, all you need is faith like a mustard seed. Now, a mustard seed is like a little piece of quinoa, like a little oatmeal flake. All you need is a little oatmeal flake of faith. Stand where you can, right there. Bring it to him. So Thomas is not a person 
who's just looking for some type of scientific evidence. He is not a person who's hard-hearted and just skeptical in the way we would think of it. He is bringing all the faith he has. He believes a lot, but there's something he doesn't believe, and it's the resurrection of Christ. And I'm asking you, what is it that you do believe? Bring it to him. What is it that you don't? Bring it to him. We welcome you. Ask. Seek. Knock. Go as far as you can. Now, Thomas's doubt isn't just intellectual. It's not just that he's saying, I don't believe in the resurrection. I, I don't have faith that Jesus is, has uh, resurrected. His doubt is emotional. And this is really the crux of the matter for Thomas. Emotional doubt. Uh, we know this, first of all, because Thomas doesn't say, uh, unless it's true, I will not believe. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, prove it's true and then I'll believe. Thomas says, unless I see, I will never believe. Thomas has put himself in the position in which the only thing is true is true for him. Now you and I both know that something can be true whether you've ever seen it or not. But Thomas is going to deny that. He's not going to surrender to that. He has evidence. He has trusted friends telling him an impossible thing. They've seen Jesus alive. But he says, that's good for you. Unless I see. So Thomas isn't looking just for an objective truth here. He's looking for something personal in his life. And why? What's happened to him? Well, uh, he's not just um, in an, in an air-conditioned room in a dorm having pizza at 2 a.m. debating existentialism. Uh, Thomas has experienced something important. Thomas was one of the twelve, remember? He was called the twin. In John chapter 11, the situation was Lazarus seems to have died People are saying we should go, or he's sick, we should go. And uh, the disciples are saying, we can't go there. If we go there, they're going to kill us. They're going to kill you, Jesus, and they're going to kill us. It wasn't Peter who said, let's go die. It wasn't James and John, the sons of thunder, who said, let's go die. It was Thomas. Let us also go, that we may die with him. This is no, this guy's all in. This is no uh, hard-hearted, distant skeptic. What has happened to this guy? How did he get from, let's go die for Jesus, to, unless I see, I won't believe? How did he get there? A lot happened. Uh, one of his best friends, Peter, a leader in the church, denied that he ever knew Jesus. Peter took a sword and hacked off a guy's ear right in front of Thomas and the others. Thomas ran. So did everybody else. They ran and abandoned Jesus. Thomas has seen something about himself he did not expect. He's seen something in his friends. Thomas had a friend named Judas. Yeah, there was hardship sometimes. Everybody knew that Judas was stealing stuff. Judas was kind of complaining and things like that. But they had fed others together. They had prayed together. They had done life with Jesus together. They had risked together. They had gone out and ministered to others together. And now he hears that not only was Judas the one who set him up, and he saw Judas's kiss, he also realizes and hears that Judas has taken his own life. The fellowship is breaking. And not only that, 
the pastors that Thomas grew up with, in the churches that he grew up with, the synagogues that he went to, those are the very leaders who made all this happen. The people that taught him about God, the people who taught him the scriptures, they're the ones collaborating with Rome. And then he saw Jesus, whom he loved, whom he would die for, mercilessly treated, brutally murdered, and there were no lobby groups, no watchdogs, no tweets, no blogs, no one stood who had any power to stop it. And we know there were people who believed. The text in the book of John tells us they did, but they didn't confess it because if they did, they would have been put out of the synagogue. So they stayed quiet. Thomas watched everything that he thought about God and followers of God and what that life was supposed to be and what integrity is supposed to be. And he encounters real social injustice with no one to stop it. And the people he knew denied they even knew Jesus. This is why when you read, notice the repetition. Notice the issue for him this emotional doubt. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called it the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, place my finger, the mark of the nails, his side. What's on his mind? He saw it. He's fixed on the brutality, what was done to Jesus. I saw it. This is not what I thought we were doing. This is not what all this God stuff was supposed to be. I thought things were supposed to be different. What do you do with your intellectual doubt? You ask, you seek, you knock, you pursue the questions. But what do you do with your emotional doubt? Disillusioned. Maybe you've come here to school and you thought Christianity was a certain way and you're reading things in the news, you're hearing things uh, going on in family life, you're experiencing things yourself, you look at church leaders and you thought they were one thing, they turned out to be another thing. You look at uh, collaboration between churches and governments to do harm and injustice to other people. You, you're seeing all these things. Dear friends that you've known uh, have denied the Lord and gone off and maybe taken their own life and you think to yourself, what is this? I'm trying to say you have a friend in Thomas. This is him. And for any of you who are like me, who have encountered various moments of disillusion in my life where the reality of a fallen world challenges what I thought life was supposed to be like with God, then you are thankful that his story is told. It's Jesus who will lean in on this emotional doubt. Do you remember when Pontius Pilate... Uh, He's asking Jesus a couple of questions. Are you a king? What is truth? And when Pilate asks Jesus, are you a king then? Jesus asks Pilate a question. And the question is basically this. Do you want to know this of your own accord? Or are you asking us because you've heard people talk about it? It sounds like it's an intellectual question. If I just give you the answer, you'd be like Pilate would be like, oh yeah, good. I always wondered. I'm glad to know you're a king then. Oh, I wondered what truth was. I'm glad to know. 
But Jesus sniffs that out because it's not about that at all with Pilate. There's something much deeper going on. And he sniffs that out with us too. And so he is here with Thomas. You bring your quinoa faith. You bring all the faith you have and the doubts too. And we begin to admit that you or your friends or your family members could have intellectual doubts. I don't, I don't get the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, let's take a look at that. But it also could be much deeper than that. Even if you gave me an answer and I could see that somehow it was objectively true, that's actually not what I'm interested in. What I'm really wanting is for my own experience, my own emotional satisfaction, for my own cavernous soul, I'm asking this question and I'm bringing it to you. And you get to do that. And that's not an unchristian thing to do. It's a Christian thing to do. Now how? How do you do that? Well, first you begin to recognize that Jesus welcomes Thomas. Thomas uh, uh, isn't the one finding Jesus. Our Lord Jesus is the one finding Thomas. And notice how it all goes down. First of all, uh, um, the Lord, it says eight days later. I, I just don't even know what to do with that verse. Do you know what to do with that verse? The other disciples said, we've seen. He says, unless I see the hands and mark of the nails, place my finger in the nails, I will never believe. So I would think the Lord Jesus would, boom, right then and there. Aha, finally, Thomas has said what the issue is. He's brought it up. And the Lord Jesus would go right there. I'm thinking if I'm Peter, uh, the first couple of days, I'm pretty solid in my faith. Yeah, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Now it's like day six. And Thomas is still like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. By day seven, maybe I thought I made it up. I don't know. Because he's thinking, uh, for eight days, they wait. Um, they don't know if it'll be eight days or 80. But they must walk by faith. And the faith is what they've known and seen to be true of Jesus. And Thomas is left to wait in his doubt. I'm just saying, how do you, how do you deal with emotional doubt? It's going to take time. I don't know why. Not fully. I don't know why the Lord waits. But I know he's wise and he's good. And so we wait. And notice Thomas isn't waiting by himself. He's in community with the others. Uh, you might be tempted to think that in order to doubt uh, Jesus, you have to leave the community of Christ. Uh, what Thomas shows us is the opposite. The place to doubt is with the people of the Lord. Now, you may not come from a place that makes that safe. I get that. I grew up in a place in which I was told uh, in the churches in the area where I'm from, you know, don't ask, just believe. So I get that. It may not be that simple for you. But the Christian life invites you to doubt in community. I don't have to be afraid that you doubt something. You don't have to be afraid that I do. We bring all the faith we have. We bring the doubt we have. But there's no immediate gratification here. Is it something you really want to know? Is it something you're really willing to grapple with? Sometimes people have their questions answered, but then they move on to another question. Are you like that? Do you know someone like that? And you, start, you begin to realize they're not really wanting answers. 
But there are some of you here who want an answer, don't you? You, you long for an answer and you want to take Jesus up on his call to ask and seek and knock and so you're risking it. But it feels uncomfortable. Nothing's fixed and it's Tuesday. Nothing's fixed and it's Wednesday. I have no answer and it's Thursday. It's the following Thursday. I still have no answer. But I'm in community and I'm being honest about it and I'm bringing all the faith I have. This is no all or nothing thing and I'm waiting in community in the direction of the Lord. And notice when the Lord uh, comes, uh, where he comes, they're behind locked doors. There's danger here. It's, for them, it's just not a, a intellectual questions. To, it's, if they have these questions answered, it's going to require something of their life. Because swirling outside the locked doors are soldiers and governing officials who are wanting to bring harm to people who identify with Jesus. So this is no longer just a philosophical question for them. No longer just a debate. No longer just having the right answers and stuff. It matters for how they will live. And so, the Lord comes right to where the locked doors are. Right to the toughest place in Thomas's life. Isn't that something about our Lord Jesus? He's able to go where the mess is. He will come right to where you've locked the doors in your life. That's where he'll come. He'll come right to the place where you say, but, but I, I don't know, I don't believe, I, I don't know, I can't. He'll come right to that place and say, okay, let's handle that together. He, he isn't saying, oh my goodness, Thomas doubted, away with him. And maybe because it's been eight days, we think that's what he's saying. But the fact that the Lord waits doesn't make him mean. He's wise. And so we draw it out. He draws out our heart in community and we bring those emotional challenges to him, those intellectual questions to him, right where the doors are locked. And notice he doesn't wait for you to get out from underneath the locked doors, get all your doubts solved, and then come to him. It isn't that way, is it? And so when you see that kind of message talked about and tweeted about and Facebooked about and Instagrammed about, you can just know, ah, those folks just don't know the real message yet. The real message is that right where your doors are locked, right where you need peace, that's where he comes. He comes to them and he says, peace. Now why does he say uh, blessed are those who have seen. That, that's really convenient. That's a cop-out Jesus. Yeah, good for you. You get to say that Thomas got to see, but no one else does. How clever. You know? But the thing is, uh, that's just real, among other things, for our time this morning. Think about it this way. Nearly everyone who's walked with God in the Bible didn't see God. It's just not the norm. Not in this way. And uh, even Moses or King David or Ruth or Esther didn't see Jesus. Because their faith is a historical one in an actual place and time. Thomas has to learn what he's going to have to live 
The Lord Jesus is discipling these groups because soon enough, Thomas will have to live without seeing. Uh, Maybe when you first became a follower of Jesus or you first recognized that you were looking to Him for your faith, you felt and you saw and things were wonderful, not in the same way Thomas did, but it was so real and practical and now you've walked with the Lord a while and you don't feel like you once did and you think to yourself, what has happened? Maybe I've lost something. Maybe you haven't lost something at all. Maybe you're growing up. Maybe you're growing up into what it looks like to walk by faith, by bringing all the faith we have when we cannot see and we know and we bring those doubts and that faith to the Lord. That's where we're starting our time this week. In each of our discussions the rest of the week, we'll be looking at how do we do that? What do we make of our intellectual and emotional doubts? And how do we bring those to Jesus? And how is it that Jesus welcomes us And how can we handle having to wait eight days or more? And how do we see that this is the freeing richness of the Christian life? That doubt is a part of faith. Thomas is no skeptic, and you needn't have to be either. But bring the faith you have and all the doubt you have. The quinoa piece is all you need. Jesus is good with that. And we come together in community, and we ask Him, Lord, Lord, here's what I doubt. Here's what I believe. And we see what Jesus makes of it. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this week that you administer to each one of us according to our need and that you would continue to reorient our hearts toward how you relate to doubting people in the scriptures. That we could find ourselves in their story and find you lovely. Someone here has real doubts, Lord. Please remind them of the faith they also have. And someone here has faith and is afraid of a doubt. Please unearth it. Allow them to bring the doubt to you in community. We commit this to you, Lord. In Jesus, in your name, amen.